0: Good morning. I'm J.R., one of the pastors here, and we want to welcome you to Cedar Hills. If you have your Bibles, I'd like to invite you to grab one, or turn with me on your iPad or your iPhone or whatever your technological gadget of choice is, and turn with me to the Gospel of Luke chapter 11. I just returned from Nashville where I spent a lot of time with my grandson, whose father is a songwriter, and technology is a big part of their life. He's three years old, and he can navigate an iPad way better than I. And one of the first things that he would do, one of the things they stressed at their house, was mom would turn off the television and put up the iPads, and they would say, there's too much technology. And he interpreted that there's too much tech allergies. And uh, so it was just kind of a comical thing for, for me to experience. It's, it's good to be back. And we're in the middle of, what is this, our eighth week of our, of our series on Slow Church, where we're really taking a look at learning to do church Slower. Learning to do, and what we mean by that is just learning to do life slower. While you're turning to Luke 11, I'd like to start with this. I've been reading through the Gospel of Luke a lot lately, and one of the things that Jesus does is He redefines what I call the principle of hospitality. And He does this just a couple past, chapters past Luke 11. When He says this in Luke verse four, chapter 14, He says... He says, when you give a dinner, he says, don't invite your friends and don't invite your brothers and don't invite your relatives or or your rich neighbors. He says, if you do, they may invite you back and so you'll be repaid. But when you, everybody say me, but when you give a banquet, invite the poor and invite the crippled, invite the lame, the blind, and and you'll be blessed. And although you cannot, and, and although they cannot repay you, you'll be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous." But our text this morning in Luke 11 actually appears to demonstrate a spirit of hospitality, if you will, that is the exact opposite of what Jesus defines in Luke chapter 14. And we're going to spend some time with that. This morning I want us to keep this definition of hospitality in the forefront of our thinking, the one in Luke chapter 14. Because it's clear, I think, in my understanding, that the apostles fully understood the critical importance of hospitality. And when you look at their ministries and you see the openness and the acceptance of outsiders, even strangers, even at a great cost to themselves, you see that the idea of hospitality really may have been a trademark, maybe even a virtue of the early church. Follow along on Luke chapter 11. I'm going to read verses 5 through 13. And if if my translation is not the same as yours, just follow along as best you can. Verse 5. Then teaching them more about prayer, he used this story. Suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight wanting to borrow three loaves of bread and you say to him, verse 6, a friend of mine has just arrived for a visit and I have nothing to eat. Verse 7. And suppose he calls out from his bedroom. He says, don't bother me. The door's locked for the night and my family and I are all in bed and I can't help you. Verse 8, but I tell you this, though he won't do it for friendship's sake, if you keep knocking long enough, he'll get up and give you whatever you need because of your shameless persistence. Verse 9, and so I tell you, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking, and you will find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be open. For everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds, and everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. You fathers, if your children ask for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? Or if they ask for an egg, do you not give them a, Or if they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? May the Lord Jesus bless the reading of His Word to our hearts on this, our Lord's Day. The behavior of the man that's tucked in at night seems to demonstrate a behavior that's the exact opposite of the definition of hospitality that Jesus gives us in Luke chapter 14. Now, I can kind of relate to that. I've been, Any of you ever felt imposed upon? maybe even taken advantage of? Sure, we, we, we all have. But when I study the Bible and I study Christian history and I look at the church, one of the things throughout history, especially in the mission fields, ministers and missionaries are often dependent on the hospitality of the communities in which they, they visit. In Jesus' day, he said when you go to a place and you find a person of peace, this is the kind of person that he was talking about. The kind of person that you could stay with that would take you in and allow you to actually operate your preaching ministry out of their home. In fact, the Christian virtue of hospitality was so well practiced that some people even call it the trademark of the early church. And some historians maintain that Christianity may have never survived without the distinctive virtue of hospitality and compassion that the yearly church offered people in the midst of an oppressive and a threatening environment. Some would say that the motivating force behind the movement of the early church was the uncharacteristic level of love shown through the virtue of Christ's idea of hospitality. People were genuinely loved, welcomed, accepted, cared for. The feeling of their self-worth was increased, making them feel... Hear, hear this. And this is the key, I think, to hospitality. Making them feel genuinely wanted... I think this is what it means to make Christian hospitality available to every walk of life. In His name, meaning they were representatives of Jesus, they reached out to the needs of their community, they ministered to the people and brought them into the church, but the, their idea of church wasn't, wasn't just something that they attended once a week and nor is ours. It was a way of living life in community with one another. And That's a whole nother series. So you may be here this morning, and you might be saying to yourself, so what, Jr.? That was then, and, and this is now. This is the 21st century, and I'm, I'm really not making the connection between this historical idea of hospitality and, a, and our modern idea. What does hospitality really have to do with the church today? And I'd say that's a great question. You know, I believe that as followers of Christ, we carry the very heart of our, and the, of our very being of responsibility, which is the privilege that God gives each of us, to reach out in loving hospitality to others. Hospitality is not just something to, to which we're called. It's, it's a part of who we are as the people of God. It's, it's in our blood. I'd even go as far to say that it's a trademark of those who are truly washed by the blood of the Lamb. Those of us who are recipients of God's magnanimous grace and mercy. How many of you can say thank God to that? Who have freely received from God's goodness. We're called to give back the very same way, freely, lovingly, and sometimes even at a great cost to ourselves. Father, I just pray this morning that as we talk about this, I ask that your word would refresh our memories and our hearts, especially for that which we ourselves are so indebted especially for that which concerns your love for us, God, through the virtue of hospitality. God, my prayer this morning is that you speak to us, that you speak to all of us in this room, and especially in the circles of influence in which we do life, and we invite you, Holy Spirit, to open up our hearts, to open up our lives, even to open up our homes, not only to guests, but also to strangers, and and to do so in unique ways that, Lord, allows us to serve the community in which we live. And Lord, who knows, maybe as we do this, some of us may actually be opening our homes to genuine messengers of God. And I ask you in the name of Jesus Christ and everyone said, Amen. I remember reading a couple of stories over the past couple of months that have stood out to me because of how sharply they contrasted one another. And one was the story of a pastor who felt that his church was a bit stuffy and he thought that it could use a bit of a friendly makeover. So one Sunday he announced that the following Sunday they were going to start a custom of shaking hands and greeting one another, much like we do here. And so at the close of the service, they were going to start it the following week. One of the guys turned around and he recognized a woman standing behind him who he didn't know. And he turned around and he said, good morning, ma'am. And with a stark, bold, firm look, she looked at him and she grabbed his hand and she said, I'm sorry, but I'm really not into that friendliness sort of stuff. And besides, that doesn't start till next week anyway. (laughs) True story. Any of you ever tried to shake hands with somebody like that? And I think one of the reasons that my mind was able to recall this abrasive type of story was because of a recent mission letter that I just read by Steve Stewart. He's the founder of Impact Nations, an organization that brings hope and restoration to the poor and vulnerable in the the underdeveloped world. And so to do this justice, I simply want to read to you a portion of Steve's letter. In fact, it's so good, I I was tempted to just use it as as the sermon to preach. (laughs) He says, as a part of our travels to India, he says, Impact Nations has been experiencing the house church movement firsthand. This is a movement that is baptizing here, this church, over a million new disciples a year and is now the largest church movement in the nation of India. Earlier this year, I wrote about what I observed as I attended a number of gatherings in different parts of the country with Impact Nations. And since then, I've been studying and praying and thinking about how to contextualize in North America everything that I've been experiencing in India. He said, while well, I was in India, I spent several days in two different homes. In both places, I was struck by how many people constantly came and went. Usually, there were anywhere between six and 20 visitors i go to sleep to the sound of people talking, people laughing, people praying, people singing, people watching sports or on television, people eating, etc. I woke up, I'd find people sleeping on the floor, making breakfast or talking. And both homes were filled with this kind of energy and, and this kind of life. These were not people who lived there. The people were constantly coming or going, changing with old friends, bringing new ones. It was a place for everyone where unbelievers were included and to this unstructured but incredibly vibrant and attractive life. At one point I asked my friend's wife, Is it always like this? And she looked at me in a puzzled way and she said, oh, Of course, Steve. This is the church. And it broke my heart. Because my house isn't like that. I would feel imposed upon if my home was that open. But when I go back and I I read scripture and I I study church history, I see that this is the church. And this sent me back to reading about the early church where they continuously gathered and they ate at homes and the Bible says that that the Lord added to the church daily and for the first 300 years this is the way the church operated. There were no church buildings. There are no reception halls to have potluck dinners in. Biblical hospitality, the kind of hospitality written about in the New Testament, goes beyond our preferences and our desires just for social interaction. Instead, it's a lifestyle that we embrace as a devotion to Jesus and a love for people. Even those who aren't like us. And I know as well as you do how challenging That can be. Now the sharp contrast between these two stories got me to thinking about the American ideal of hospitality and just how different that can be according to your location in our country. Hospitality and and rural America, any of you live there? This is the Midwest. A lot of us probably came from there years ago. If you live in rural America, it's going to be very different than an urban setting or a suburbia setting. And then it can change depending upon the ethnic group that you're with or the the age demographic with which you're dealing too. It can change. The other day I read in a church newsletter about a man who had visited 18 different churches on successive Sundays. And he was trying to find out what the churches were really like. And he said, this was his plan. He says, I'm going to sit near the front. And when I got to all of these churches, I would sit near the front. And after the service, I would slowly walk all the way back to the rear. Then I would return to the front and I'd walk to the rear again up a different aisle. And I would always make it a point to ask one person to direct me to a specific place, like the fellowship hall or the pastor's study, etc. If there was coffee, he said, I would remain and, and have a cup. And he writes, I used this scale to rate the reception that I received from the church. Now, remember, there are 18 churches that he goes to successively. And he says, I awarded points based on the following basis. Ten points if I got a smile from a worshiper in the congregation. Everybody smile. Oh, there we go. We're already on the, already on the board. 10 points for a smile, uh, 10 points for a greeting from somebody who was seated nearby me, 100 points for an exchange of names, 200 points for an invitation to have coffee, 200 points for an invitation to return. I'd give them 1,000 points if they introduced me to somebody else in the congregation, and I gave them 2,000 points if they introduced me to the pastor. Now, out of the 18 churches, 11 of the 18 churches earned less than, than 100 points. Five actually received less than 20 points. And so he concluded after attending these 18 different congregations this. He says, if I attended these churches, and even if the teaching was biblical, even if the worship and the singing was inspirational, even if the sermon was uplifting, even I, what I discovered is that if a visitor discovers that, really no, that nobody really cares whether or not they're there or not, then they're likely not to come back. So it got me to thinking about our church and the roles that each of us play And taking the initiative to make contact with people. What do you think about our church? Do you think it's possible for someone to walk into our church, to come into the worship center, sit all the way down here at the front aisle, exit slowly up one aisle, and then get all the way to the back and make their way all the way back down again and exit up a different aisle without nobody ever smiling at them or trying to get their name or asking them to have a cup of coffee or introducing them to another person in our congregation? Is it possible? Well, sure, it's, it's, it's possible. Is it probable? Not likely. I don't think. It's Cedar Hills. And I, I, think that, I think that's a good thing. Today we're talking about doing church slow enough to do hospitality well. For the past eight weeks, we've been talking about this idea of slow church. And many of you are already getting together regularly around a slow-cooked meal. And we even provide recipes for you inside the bulletin to do this with one another. And some of you are beginning to really enjoy the process of of learning to grow in your faith with one another. And if you're not doing that, I just want you to know you're really missing out on something special. You're missing out on the gifts that God has to give you through the relationships and the gifts of other people with which we worship. See, hospitality is one of those virtues that if it was likened to a piece of architecture in our church, I'd call it an ever-widening front door because I believe I believe the degree to which we welcome and accept others, and not just into our weekly public worship celebration, but into our lives, I mean really into our lives, speaks volumes about who we really are as members and representations of the body of Christ. Hospitality is a front door that we swing wide open do any and all. And most of us feel good when we enter into a home and, and we're greeted with a floor mat at the front door that says, Welcome. Or maybe we see a verse on the wall that says, Bless all who enter this home. And, and I understand that some of you might get a little defensive if the home with which you walk up to is flying a Kansas City Royals flag. I'm not. Or, or, maybe, a, or maybe a New York Mets, depending on which side you are. But the point is this. It's easy to take on somewhat of a defensive posture and our relationships with people, when we stare at a sign that says, Beware of the dog, or no trespassing, or, or no solicitors, or no Nebraska Cornhusker fans. Wait, wait a minute. Is that really in my notes? <laughs> yeah, it is. I'm sorry, Bruce. That was for second service. Where's he at? Is he in here? Well, the point is this. Professionals tell us that we experience feelings of disconnect when we're surrounded by people who are different from ourselves. Different languages. Different ethnicity, different customs, maybe they dress differently, maybe they eat different types of food, maybe they wear their hair differently. But there's a disconnect that has to be overcome and it's something that has to be identified. And this happens not only in culture but also in church life. And here's just a few ways that over 33 years I've seen it play out in the church. Sometimes we will avoid eye contact with people who are newcomers. Some of us are introverts, we don't like, we don't, we don't like the whole introductory process. I'm not one of those. One of my favorite things that I do is to stand out here on Sunday mornings and greet you when you walk into the church. Or we stare at young people whose clothes don't match ours or haven't combed or colored their hair according to what we consider proper. Or we might even avoid eye contact with peace, somebody who has physical or mental disabilities, somebody who's challenged at that capacity, or the person who talks too loud or too much or with that annoying accent. Well, you you get the point. As individuals... And as a church body, I, how often do we, without realizing it, sometimes send unspoken signals that say to people, "Keep out, high voltage areas. Beware of the dogs. Kansas City Royals fan." You know, I've I've wondered to what extent the church throughout history has been guilty of freezing out people who feel differently from the accepted norm. And I know that I've been guilty of that, too. We all have boundaries, don't we? We all have boundaries that it's just it's so difficult for us to step outside and, and exist in that realm. But on the other hand, when we create an atmosphere that's friendly and it's warm and it's welcoming, and I'm talking about in a genuine way, I think this is a start to creating a place where we can at least begin to test the sea, to test the waters to see if we're really welcomed and we're really wanted. I want to invite you to do something this morning. I want you to invite around just groups two or three. I want you to talk about a time when you went to somebody's house where the hospitality that they shared with with you was just so overwhelming that you felt like you didn't even want to leave. And when it came time for you to leave, they wanted you to know that they wish you could have spent more time with them. Just do that. Turn around and just have a short conversation about some time in your life when you experienced hospitality in an unbelievable way. Well, these are good memories, aren't they? You know, Terry and I, we've been blessed. We've ministered in a lot of churches and a lot of different places over the years as working with revitalization and church plants, and we've been so blessed to have a number of people over the years in our lives who've really ministered to us with the loving gift of hospitality, and especially in ministry, sometimes after a long, hard, challenging time of ministry. and It's such a wonderful gift in the body of Christ to, to, to actually have somebody bring you into their home, and you can just tell that they're just so excited for you to be there. And they just, they just pour everything over you. They just go over the top to serve you and, and make you feel welcomed. And these are the kind of people that you just want to hang around with because they make you feel so good, so hopeful, and, and so alive. And these are the kind of people who even after you think you may have overstayed your welcome and you make the comment to them, well, we really need to get going now. Now, they're not just saying this out of they're not being ingenuine about it. They look at you and they say, Oh, J.R. and Terry, we wish you could stay. Can't you just stay another hour? Can't you just stay another half hour with us? And Those kind of people. The kind of people who make you feel not just welcomed, but wanted. There's a difference. It's not just enough to make people feel welcomed. They need to genuinely feel that they're wanted. When we look at our text this morning in Luke chapter 11, verse 5, we see a guy, a friend who's in need, who comes knocking and beating on the door of a friend at midnight. And it's, it's a bad time. The family's in bed. And uh, the point of the story is that he demonstrates what not to do as a believer. The behavior that the guy who's tucked in bed demonstrates, he demonstrates a behavior that is the exact opposite of the way God responds to us when we cry out to him in prayer. And really the only reason that he gets up is when it says about the shameless persistence of the friend knocking, it was because of the cultural expectation that you were expected to get up and serve your friends. It wasn't because he just continued to knock. He didn't want to be embarrassed to the community. So then when it talks about God and it compares us to to given scorpions or to given stones and bread, it compares and contrasts the behavior of people the loving characteristic and hospitality of a loving father who says he will give you what you need in life, whatever you ask for. That doesn't mean you're going to get anything and everything you ask for. It, it's built on, on the character of God's goodness who understands all and that God does nothing. Everybody say nothing. You know what nothing means in the Greek? Same thing does in the English. He will do absolutely nothing for you that doesn't work out his will and goodness for you. Hospitality. The more I study God's idea of hospitality in the Bible, I, I really see it as a virtue that marked the behavior of God's people. And I really believe that this virtue of godly hospitality has been one of the secrets to loving others that the people of God have always understood. I think that's one of the great virtues that the church has always had. And for example, in the Old Testament, it gives us a number of examples of God's will in respect to hospitality. And in fact, the story of Abraham gives us a good example of the meaning of hospitality in the Bible because it demonstrates behaviors. That'll help us understand our text just a little bit better this morning. You don't have to turn with me, but it's in your sermon cell in uh, Genesis chapter 18. It's the story of Abraham when three angelic visitors come to visit him. And it's here that we, we actually have a picture of genuine hospitality in the ancient world. The respected Father Abraham sets at the tent door in the shade, and here's the key. He's not sitting at the door just to enjoy the view or the refreshing air, although I'm sure that was a part of it. But he was sitting there also so that he could see if there were any weary travelers that might be passing by his way who had actually crossed the border of his land and his property because he had a cultural obligation to provide them rest, to provide them with safety, to provide them with nourishment. So there's this proactive posture that Abraham takes to actually take care of his land. And part of that includes taking care of strangers and aliens and visitors who God brings across his path. You see, in Abraham's day, it was a custom, or it wasn't the custom, uh, for strangers to knock at the door. What they would do, they'd approach the border of your home, and then they would stand there until they were invited. And they would stand until they were approached by the person that actually owned the property. And so, when you read stories in the Gospel of Luke, like the story of the prodigal sons, where the father saw him from where? Like a long way off, that's Abraham sitting at the door, looking at his property. And when he sees somebody come across his property, like the prodigal who comes home, or the three angels who come onto Abraham's property, what does he do? He runs to greet them and he meets them. And the Bible says he stands there in front of them. And that really, what it really meant is that he was standing there to serve them. And here's the take-home and the key that really helps us understand the obligation to hospitality that was culturally expected from the homeowner in our parable this morning. This whole idea behind being hospitable doesn't just rely on our response to those who come to us. Rather, it includes the degree to which we posture ourselves to be an abundant resource that seeks to reach out and look for those who are in need. The same way that Abraham watched from the entrance to his tent. And this is the exact opposite of the behavior of the friend who's all tucked in with his family that our parable demonstrates this morning. You see, the the idea behind biblical hospitality is that God is a God of great abundance. Everybody say that, great abundance. Here's two of the names that He reveals Himself to us in the Hebrew Scriptures. He reveals Himself to us as El Shaddai, which means the many-breasted one. It's It's a metaphor for the Lord God who's more than enough. He reveals Himself to us as Jehovah-Jireh, which is the Lord God who sees and provides. Now, the idea behind hospitality is that there's always room for more at the table of God and, and His family. There's always room for somebody else. And maybe these verses will, will make it just a little bit clearer. And I just want to invite you to listen to these this morning. I'm not going to read the references, but I, just, I want you to hear these words. Do not oppress an alien... For you yourselves know how it feels to be aliens because you are aliens in Egypt. Nobody likes to be an outsider. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the alien. I am the Lord your God. God defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the alien giving him food and clothing. And you are to love those who are aliens for you yourselves were once aliens and Egypt. I guess you could say that the Bible's idea of hospitality is, is the act of giving friendship to a visitor and to a stranger. You see, long before the church had pulpits and baptistries, she had kitchens and dinner tables. And even a casual reading of the New Testament will reveal that the house was the primary tool of the church. The primary gathering place for the church was the home. And I I just want you to consider this genius of God's plans as I close this. The first generations of Christians was a tinderbox of contrasting cultures and backgrounds. At least 15 different nationalities heard Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost. Jews stood next to Gentiles. Men worshipped with women. Slaves and masters alike sought after Christ. And can we do the same thing today? Can Hispanics live in peace with Anglos? And Africans, Americans with Hispanics? Can Democrats find common ground with Republicans? Can a Christian family carry on a civil friendship and relationship with a Muslim couple down the street? As a divergent, emerging nation, can we connect with people and genuinely love them? And still own our convictions to the cross of Christ? The early church did. And without the aid of sanctuaries, church buildings, clergies, or even seminaries, they did so through the clearest of messages, the cross. And through the simplest of tools, your home. And not everyone can serve in a foreign land. Not everybody can lead a relief effort or volunteer downtown at the soup kitchen, though you can do that monthly here. You can sign up to help downtown. But you can be hospitable. If you have a home or an apartment, you have a front, if you have a front door, if you've got a chair that somebody can set at, a front porch that they can share, bread and meat for sandwiches, if you need a recipe, we even provide that for you too. Congratulations. If you have any of that, you've qualified to serve in the most ancient of ministries Christian hospitality. Something holy happens around a dinner table that'll never happen in a sanctuary. In a church auditorium, you see the backs of heads. Around the table, you see the expression on their faces. In an auditorium, one person speaks. Around the table, everyone has a voice. Church services are on the clock, and I'm running late. Around the table, there's time to talk. Hospitality opens the door to uncommon community. And it's no accident that hospitality and hospital come from the same Latin word, for both lead to the same result, healing. When you open your door, and I'm close with this, to someone, this is the message you're sending. The message you're sending says, you matter to me, and you matter to God. You may think you're saying, Come over for a visit, but I think what the guest hears is, I'm really worth the effort. May the Lord God bless us and equip us to be His love and His arms extended in the worlds in which we do our lives. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, this morning we stand before you and all because of the great love that you've given us. We thank you for the salvation that comes to us alone through Jesus Christ and the blood that he shed on Calvary's tree. Lord, I just pray this morning that if there's anybody here in this worship center who's never surrendered their life to you, that they would find forgiveness in what you offer through the cross. I just want to invite you to say, Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive me. And Lord, for those of us this morning who walk with you, We say the same thing. Continue to forgive us. Continue to equip us that we may be a loving reflection of godly hospitality. And I ask it in Jesus' name and everyone said, Amen.